I want to create awareness to people that have gone through loss and, and grief and people need need you and uh, whether you go ask them how can I help or I'm here that's what they need instead of it's a lonely place it's a difficult spot to be in and whether you see them at church or whether you see them all around go up and, and hang with them and spend some quality time with them and allow you to help them through the process. This is Jeff Burningham, and welcome to the Extraordinary Us podcast, where we talk to people from all walks of life, some known, some not so well known. Uh, But I love these conversations. They're meaningful, and uh, they were born out of experience that I had running for governor here in Utah, friends I've made. I want to just put some goodness in the world. And today, we've got some goodness in the studio with us today. Jason Clausen is here with me. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Jason, I'm so glad to have you here. This is going to be a unique episode. We're going to talk um, a little bit about death, Mm -hmm. about grieving. Um, I think this is something that's been on a lot of hearts and minds. And so we're going to talk about that today. The other interesting thing about Jason and I is I, I think this is close to the 50th episode Jason may be the first guy I don't really know that well. <laughs> um, you know, I've talked to a bunch of friends. Jason's been referred to me, though, actually by a couple people. He's been uh, working on a charity and now a business around grief, and I hope this is uplifting to you. Before we jump in, let, re- let me remind you the tenets of the podcast. Number one, no matter our differences, and we're all different in so many ways, but no matter what those differences are, we're all a lot more alike than we are different. We're all born. We all have a body. We're all going to die. And we will talk a little bit about that today. So because of that, let's exercise compassion, less comparison, which is maybe a natural human tendency. And let's have more compassion for each other. My experience from traveling all over the world, all over Utah, et cetera, et cetera, is that 99. Three to seven percent of people are really good. They're trying their best. They're dealing with hard things. Jason's going to talk to us a little bit about that today, but um, they're really doing their best. And then third, lastly, too often we let mistakes of the past and or fear for an unknown future cause us to make decisions based in fear. I think we need to make decisions based in faith and go forward without fear. That's why we're here on the Extraordinary Us podcast. Jason is a therapist. His wife passed away, and he has turned that grief into something positive. Um, He's been helping others and looking at kind of becoming an entrepreneur here even the last couple of months. So, Jason, you know, tell us a little bit more just about yourself for background because we, again, this is a unique (laughs) podcast for me because we don't know each other. Usually I know my guests really well. We don't know each other super well. Like I said, we were connected through a couple mutual friends who said, you know, you got to hear Jason's story. You got to hear about what he's doing. So I'm excited to talk to you. Awesome. Again, Jeff, I would just want to thank you for having me be here and have that platform. And I love the tenants that that kind of resonates with me and kind of what I've been doing really since my wife passed yeah. away. So a little background about me is I, I grew up in Utah and I grew up with a family of seven kids. Cool. Where, where'd you grow up? What city? I, I grew up in Orem. Okay. So, so close by. Yeah. Not too far. Yeah. And, um, so I was born and raised here and my, by profession, I'm a therapist. So I became a therapist because I love to help people. I love to connect to people on a different level. 
And one of my favorite things is going through this experience is I like to say, I don't know you, but I know you. Yeah. So I might not know you, Jeff, but I think some of the emotions and things that we've been through, there's a lot of similarities that we have. So that's what connects us. And I've seen... Amen to that. I've seen uh, me get really connected to people in recovery with out of prison, full of tattoos. And I, I've been able to connect with them on such a deep emotional level. And it, it, it warms my heart to be able to connect to people that have been suffering. So, yeah. What did you focus on in your therapy practice specifically? What, did you have a focus? Or? So uh, out of college, I remember the only internship that I found was working at a, reco- or at a methadone clinic working with people in recovery. Hmm. So early on... Addiction recovery. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So early on, I fell in love with those people and uh, they needed some allies and advocates and that's why... I kind of gravitated to that. And then I would go back and forth between adults in recovery to adolescents in treatment programs. And then I've done private stuff to help with families and individuals heal. And people need help. People yeah. are struggling. People are going through difficult times. And they need good people to to rally around them and help them heal. And you had this personal tragedy in your life, which we'll talk about here in a moment, but your wife passing away. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, was your background in therapy, were you able to use your own stuff on yourself? You know, (laughs) like, does that work like that? I always wonder, uh, I always wonder about that, you know, like, was it helpful? Was it hurtful? I, I, I don't know. When the rubber meets the road, you know, when you're really in crisis, when you're really facing a tragedy like you did, how did that how did that go for you? You know, how did what was your experience with that? I mean, because of being a therapist and I've been in those those rooms and those process groups with clients, I I knew what to look for and I knew some of the tools to be able to help heal. But I couldn't in some cases I couldn't help myself. So I had to teach people how to help me. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the therapy side and that perspective being able to do that. I couldn't look in the mirror and give me some questions and process through those emotions. I had to invite in a healing team to help me get through this over and over again. Yeah. Because I always say the opposite of grief and depression is connection. And what happens when you go through a, a, a loss or the death of your spouse is you become so disconnected and you feel alone, and you don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is you find that people want to help, but people don't want to rock the boat, and they don't want to say something to you because that might push you over the edge. So what happens is they we create like a support vacuum, Mm -hmm. and people just back away. So you even feel lonelier through the process. Yeah, that is so heartbreaking, and I can imagine. How do we stay connected? Like in this, our world, you know, there's talk about the metaverse, a couple of episodes that I had before this one, Jace, you may not know, but we're about the future. And as our world becomes more and more digital, as we spend more and more time on our phones, mm-hmm. in social media, yeah. um, as there may be more easy ways or more accessible ways to become addicted to other things. How do we stay connected? Just what is some thoughts on general thoughts on connection going into the in this modern world, you know, going into the future? I think part of connection is is you got to take some of that responsibility and recognize that you are feeling these emotions. You are starting to withdraw and you have to almost invite yourself back into that connection modes with family and friends. 
uh, because it's easy to get disconnected. And especially with the digital world, especially also with COVID, we become isolated from everybody else. Yeah, it's and, been painful. Mm -hmm. And so we got to be able to kind of lean into that resistance and know that it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard, but we got to lean into it just a bit to where it's not overwhelming and we back away. So we build up a tolerance to get back into connections with people. I think what's happening, what I've seen with people is they, um, all these, uh, um, rules and regulations are, are, are getting lifted and then people are kind of left like, what do I do? Yeah. So it's, we're like, having a hard time reconnecting. <laughs> do you think? Exactly. Do you think it's going to be hard? Yeah. Oh, I think it's going to, I think there's been a, like a pressure cooker just building. Yeah. And when everything's kind of removed, I think there's going to be so much struggles with people that really? don't know how to connect again. Really? Uh huh. So it's again, starting small, lean into that resistance just a little bit so you don't have to be overwhelmed. Yeah. And also when you feel strong, do harder things, but when you're not feeling it, back away, take time until you build up some tolerance and some confidence to get back into connection with people. Yeah, I think that's good advice, but I think it's really, it's a tough balance, right? Oh. Because I think that, like, think of our, we both have kids, think of our, our youth or think of people. It's easy to kind of think, oh, I'm connected. I'm looking, I'm scrolling through Instagram or whatever, and I'm, I'm connected to these people. You're really not connected mm -hmm. in the way that you're talking, right? And so I think it, it can, uh, give a sense of fake connection, it can it can also um, maybe make it harder for us to be courageous in a real connection. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's it's hard to sit face to face and have those conversations. And I think as as I talk to my 15 year old, yeah. um, trying to have a conversation without the phone in the middle of us is very hard. So yeah. as a parent, you almost have to take some of those boundaries and put that phone away or set aside time where you're having face-to-face -face interactions, where you have family dinner, or you make time to be able to have those interactions. You as a parent need to be able to do this so that you can have those connections and slowly build back those real emotional connections. Yeah. That's great advice. Tell, tell us a little bit about your story. You know, I, yeah, I don't want to, yeah, tell us about your story and then what led to the sunshine baskets, yeah. which are really, I think, gifts, baskets, um, that help people through the grieving process that you went through yourself. Absolutely. So it has the tools in there to help you with your hardest moments and get connected with people. That seems so. And, and just so you know, Jace, a little bit of more background about me. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, you know, there was, uh, my father-in-law passed away here in the last six months. It's been very difficult for my wife and for our entire family and her mother, of course. And, and so we've kind of been grieving as a family and dealing with death maybe more intimately than we have been associated. The other thing is we're both in our mid-40s, midlife. Uh -huh. I feel like there's been more death around me the last couple of years than there ever has been. That's a function of COVID. I guess that's a function of my A, our age. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but this is something that I'm grappling with and thinking about. And so... Yeah, tell us your story and and why you're doing what you're doing and and you know, give people out there who are listening and struggling with with grief or or death of a loved one or whatever the case may be, you know, some hope or thoughts. Go ahead. Take us wherever you'd like to. Awesome. So about 4 years ago, there was uh my wife came to me and says, "I have this lump in my stomach. What's going on, Jason?" So I went and I I felt it and we said I'm not sure what it is, but let's give us a week and we'll check back and see what's going on. 
So the week went by, and uh, I went back, and I felt this uh, lump in my wife's stomach, and it had grown. Mm. And all of a sudden, you could see the concerns in my wife's eyes, and me as her husband was saying, oh, no, what what is about to happen? And we didn't know. So we, we went to our primary care physician, did some tests, and uh, he looked at us and says, are, are you pregnant? And, and we kind of laughed about that because we've struggled with getting pregnant before, so this says that that's not possible. So he began to, to refer us out to a couple different peoples where we ran some tests and we did some blood work. There was always concerns from the medical professionals, but there was never really what was going on. So you could, you could tell the emotion, emotional side and the discouragement or the frustration kept building because we didn't know. Oh, because you didn't know what was going on. You're saying, yeah. We didn't know. Mm-hmm. And, and a backstory, Jeff, is, is, up until this point, we we felt like we were doing the best that we've had done in a long time, where the kids were thriving in school, in sports. I was a clinical director at a, at a recovery program. My wife lost 100 pounds, and her light was coming on, and we were just thriving. And, and, and we're like, this is what our life is meant to be. Yeah, that's cool. And then all of a sudden, we get this lump in the stomach to say, okay, we need to figure this out. So it led to series upon series and we finally went to our doctor that helped us deliver two of our sons. And she said, I'm going to do a scan and then I'm going to call you later on. I remember going to the movie Lightfoot and walking in and my wife gets this phone call. And the doctor says, Valerie, I'm so, so sorry. There are spots all over your body. She goes, I, I'm not 100%. I'm not um, an oncologist and I don't want to jump to a conclusion. So I'm going to refer you to someone. So again, the, it was building of what was going on and how our life would be different. But up until this point, we didn't know. We met with an oncologist, did some blood work after that. She said, hey, let's do exploratory surgery up at St. Mark's Hospital. We want to see what's going on. So they still weren't sure. We weren't sure. And how long a time is this so far that you've kind of covered? Is this like a, a week, a month, a year? So this was roughly, um, you know. And this from when we felt the lump in her stomach to when we went to the hospital, this is about a month. Okay. Mm -hmm. So went up to to St. Mark's, a doctor did explore, did a partial hysterectomy, and then she found a lump next to her colon and she closed up and just says, "I, I can't operate anymore. So me and my wife's parents and my sister and her best friend were sitting there in the waiting room. And comes in and looks at us, and she just said, I'm sorry, Jason, your wife has stage 4 colon cancer. And to hear that after having no warning signs or no family history and thinking about my two little boys at home saying, how am I going to do this? How am I going to survive, and how am I going to work, and how am I going to help my wife? And uh, you can, you, your questions and your life of what you thought life was going to be like has changed because the doctor told you of a diagnosis. And you're my, me as the dad and provider, it just began racing. It's like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? So as, um, the doctor says, as soon as Valerie wakes up, I'm going to come back into the room and talk. So Valerie wakes up in the room. And Did she tell you at that time? Did the doctor tell you, sorry, like how long that no. she had? Okay. No. Okay. Yep. So we went back to the room. Doctor came in. Doctor told Valerie what was going on. And again, my mind was racing. I couldn't shut it off. 
And the doctor left, and I said, I need some answers. So I ran down the hall, and I said, doctor, i got to talk to you. And I said, what is the life expectancy? What do we do? How do we pay for this? What do we?" And, and she just says, Jason, this is normal to feel what you're experiencing. And in that moment, she says, Valerie has about two to three years life expectancy. So again, that's kind of a punch in the gut saying, what are we going to do for two to three years? And Jeff, the, the, the phrase that has stuck with me in this moment to today, the doctor says, Jason looks at me in the eyes. I'll never forget this. She says, cancer has a way of enhancing your life. And at that point, Jeff, with I thought my life was going so well, I, I don't want my life to be enhanced. I want the life that I've had and I was living because I was happy and I was enjoying my family. Mm-hmm. And and that has just stuck with me for a long time. And did you find that to be true as you went? I'm not I'm trying to fast forward kind of what did the doctor mean when she said that? Or I think what you said. I, I, I think uh, it, it has a lot of power with what has happened and transpired from the next couple of years. And it's an incredible kind of um, experience I've had because because of that experience and what I've had to go through and who I've met and what I've had to do with my boys and professionally, my life, I mean, I'm, I, I don't want to jump ahead, but my life is significantly better because of what I had to go through. But it, it wasn't good. I, I mean, yeah. it's, it wasn't good during that time yeah, right terrible, away. Yeah. I wonder if you meant like enhancing your life and kind of simplifying it in the sense of like it, you really get down to what, when you get a diagnosis like that, I have to imagine that it really just goes down to what really matters, you yeah. know, like it yeah. simplifies things, it cuts the clutter, it clears the noise. It's like, this is it. This is what matters. I don't yeah. know. I think some of, as you, have you said that, I think I remember having some of the most intimate conversations with my wife more than I've ever had in my life. I remember sitting on couches where people would come over and visit and it, the conversations we were having were so deeply emotionally connected that it, it brought so much power every time someone left. So mm-hmm. because we felt like, um, obviously, we didn't have a lot of time, but we wanted to maximize those times that we had with those people. Mm-hmm. And this can go either with people with cancer, people that are in your life um, that you know now. This can give you some deep connections so that when the person passes, you hold on to those amazing connections and memories um, so much deeply, and it helps you process through your emotions. Yeah. Versus you hear a lot of, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would. The time is now. Yeah. Yeah. It just makes me think of people that are getting heartbreaking diagnosis today, you mm-hmm. know? It just happens every day, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so sad and heartbreaking. We never know what people are going through. And that's one of the reasons to exercise compassion, you know, like in the extreme, because you just never know. Mm-hmm. So I assume kind of the the grieving process kind of started then, but your wife was still here. How long did she live? And, yeah. you know, what what might be helpful for people that are going through something similar right now? So it was, remember the doctor said two to three years, and then we found ourselves nine months later, and we were at the funeral of my wife, Mm. saying goodbye to my sweet Valerie. Mm. And um, 
that it's amazing what happens when you go through loss. People rally around you and they come to the funeral and you have so much support. And I felt it and I was lifted up in that moment. But as soon as the, the funeral service was, were over, that's when I felt the most loneliness come on and sink in because that's the reality of who I was and my new identity as a mom, dad, yeah. <laughs> uh, providing and my new role shifted and I was left like, how am I going to do this? And I, the, the thing that I did, Jeff, was eight days went by and I get a call from my work that says, we need you. So I went back to work yeah. and I don't think that was the best decision because, um, I didn't, I didn't allow adequate time to kind of process and heal in those initial moments of losing her. So I went back and I just said, I'm going to work and I'm just going to power through. And that lasted probably for about nine months. And I could feel it building and building. And my, I remember my son sitting down with me and he says, dad, you come home mad and (laughs) angry. And I remember having that conversation with him and I just felt so bad that couldn't change my circumstances, even though I wanted to and I didn't want to be mad, but the way that I was living my life and operating was, it it was sad and I wasn't able to work through these emotions. So it was... What is adequate time though, Jason? Like, I mean, it's different for everyone, is it not? Or is it like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Do you know what adequate time is and I, what is I, that? I, through my experience of working with people, I don't think there's a set time. It depends yeah. on, I always say, make sure you do your work. And over time, you'll begin to feel the intensity of the emotions start to decrease. Mm-hmm. And then that's how you can gauge how you're healing. Mm-hmm. So when you initially go through it and you have those, you share your memories or the experience, all this emotion starts to flood you mm-hmm. and, and, and you can't finish sentences or it takes you out for a couple of days. What happens as you share, you go to therapy, you create some positive memories is the intensity of the emotion decreases. And that's when you know you're starting to heal, not necessarily a time frame. But people say uh, that widow's fog lasts for about a year. But, you know, it depends on if you're willing to do the work. So I got to about nine months and I just said, I can't do this anymore. So I remember finding myself in a church parking lot and I'm texting 14 of my friends 14. And, and, and family and people in my neighborhood and saying, I can't do this anymore. I need to let you know how I'm feeling and what's going on. And I sent it and there was a sense of relief that I was able to kind of open up a little bit. But I was saying, okay, what's going to happen? But real quick, when you say I can't handle this, meaning you can't. You can't pretending like you're okay and just powering through. Is exactly. that what you were saying? Okay. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great clarification. But um, that night, people showed up to my house, and um, I had everybody I text in that room. And, Jeff, I called my own intervention, kind of like the intervention show. And I, <laughs> and, and I, what, is that a TV show you mean? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Uh-huh. It's, it's a recovery program when okay. someone is in drug, uh, using drugs a lot, the family sits in a circle and they invite the person in to kind of say... Have an intervention. Yeah. And this is a TV show, huh? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm not good with uh, (laughs) entertainment or... But anyways, yeah. But but I remember in that moment is, uh, I call it, I I coined this phase the healing team, the grieving team. Because in that moment, I was able to open my heart. I was able to share how I was feeling. They were able to give me some feedback. 
And in that moment, they rallied around me as I unloaded my rocks in my backpack and say, we're here for you, Jason. We can help. And I remember what we did is someone was the point of contact and we came up with a key word. So when I was struggling or going through a difficult time, I could text this person help. And everybody had instructions of what to do when they would get that text. So I text one person help, one keyword, rather than calling and say I'm struggling, I text one keyword, that person spreads it out to everybody, and people go into action and they come over and they rally around me. Really? So one person does my comes over and helps me with laundry. Someone comes over and brings me dinner. Someone takes the kids. Someone sends me uplifting texts. But again, I have to tell them what I need to coach yeah. them, and that's what makes the healing team so powerful. Huh. And that's kind of what Sunshine Baskets is now. Is this correct? I'm kind of jumping <laughs> forward and like, so you've gone through this terrible process, this hard process. You kind of created for yourself your healing team, your grieving team, like you called it. Most people don't have that, though. Yeah. So what do people do that don't have that, so to speak? I, I think if you don't, you need to identify what resources are available to you. And whether it be in the neighborhood, whether it be a, a church organization or school or even a online social support, and you mm-hmm. need to start to build that what you're comfortable with. So. But this is your why, right? This is why you're doing Sunshine Baskets now, right? Is 100%. to try to, yeah. And, and the, the thing that happened from this intervention is I ended up quitting my job for three after three weeks, and I took the summer off because me and my boys were operating off of sad memories of my wife getting cancer and dying, and that wasn't sustaining us. Mm-hmm. So I quit my job. And I made a bucket list with my boys, and I said, what do you want to do? Dad is here for the summer. And one of the things that we put on there was create a lemonade stand because in my moment of need, someone came over and bought a sunshine basket to our family, brought some happiness and joy into our life. And I wanted to do that back to a family. So when we did that lemonade stand, I got done. I was I was only planning on making $100. I made $1,500. On the lemonade stand. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. And we made about 25 baskets, sunshine baskets, and I put it out on Facebook and I said, do you know anybody suffering from loss or grieving? We want to go deliver them the baskets. And the most incredible experience happened is we would go deliver these to people and my boys would come with me. And we began to do service for them, forget about what we were feeling, and we began to uplift people. Mm-hmm. And it began a sense of healing those people and healing us. And those people could t- ask my boys, how are you doing? And my boys could coach their kids how they're doing. Yeah. And it became a sense of peace that we needed to do that. And what was amazing is I taught my boys that yellow things go in here We'd go to Target, we'd go to Smith's, and they were just pinpointing, there's a yellow, there's a yellow. So (laughs) in a sense, this became our therapy to heal. And the need was so great as I started sharing these is clear across the country, some some people reach out and say, I want a sunshine basket. And I'm like, how am I going to get one in Virginia? <laughs> so I, cre- I designed a box and I began to ship them out to people that needed it. And today we're in 21 states mm. that we've shipped out to help people heal and give them a sense of relief. So what is in a sunshine basket? So at the beginning, we were just trying to create yellow stuff and happy stuff just like us. But I've taken my therapy background 15 years 
as well as my biggest support through this. His name is Wyatt, and he's partnered up with me. And we've created therapeutic tools in this box to help people heal. So one of the, the, the things in there is a support cards. It's a deck of cards that offers support for people that don't know how to help someone. Mm. So... Like you, advice or like instructions, gives yeah. instructions or advice or what do you mean? So again, you go back to creating a healing team yep. and, and you hand them the deck of cards. Got and the it. deck of cards, it's these are questions that I say in therapy or we've taken the texts that were sent to me from my friend and put them on these decks of cards. So it says text or call and tells you exactly what to say to people to help them talk about their emotions or talk about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because what I find is people will just say, hey, if you if you need anything, let me know. But anybody that's been through that process, it's hard to communicate or share what you really want. Yeah. So a, a deck of support cards for your healing team. And then also we've written children's books for, for adults and also for kids to help them have that open dialogue to start that conversation. Because I noticed with my boys in that experience when mom's losing hair, mom's tired, mom's taking all this medication, there's a lot of visitors, they're going from grandpa to yeah. the, what about the boys? How are they doing doing this? Yeah, yeah, they they become a casualty. So we created a book to have that dialogue, and um, as the more that you open up those conversations early on, the better they off down the road when it becomes the healing. Mm -hmm. So, so stuff like that to really help them through the process. Have you guys heard of Under Your Bed? I bet you have by now. If you're listening to the Extraordinary Us podcast, I bet you've searched for it maybe and haven't been able to find it. It's true. Isn't that how life is sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> you just can't find Constantly what you're searching, searching for. Constantly searching. Well, now you can. Now we've been found. Under Our Bed is finally out. It's really there, people. So type it in right now. Search it up. You're going to love it. Look for it live. Subscribe and tell your friends. Can't wait to have you there with... Jeff and Sal providing the comedy relief. <laughs> Good night, Sal. Good night, Jeff. What is the key to grieving? You know, like what are, what have you learned about grieving through this process? <laughs> like, so again, I always say the opposite of grieving is connection. Okay. So it's all about connection. Uh -huh. And it goes to depression. It goes to, um, addiction, uh, the opposite of healing and grieving is connection. So finding a way to be able to feel emotionally connected with someone or having someone sit next to you and say, I care about you or having someone say, let's, let's go. I'm in this with you. So again, I also, I also teach people, you don't have to be the strongest person in your situation. You just have to reach out and have strong people in your support system. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's the, the, and the key to grieving also is being able to share and talk through this, not being able to keep it in and not hold on to it because it's kind of like a two liter bottle. If you hold in those experiences, it begins to shake and build pressure. And then whether you want it or not, it's going to manifest itself. Mm -hmm. So you need to find ways of letting out that little bit of fizz yeah. and relief, and, and that can come in many different ways. But What are the most healthy ways to do that, Jason, for people that are grieving or people that don't have a, a, a grieving team or haven't created that? You know, I think of my mother-in-law or whatever who 
is surrounded by love and by family, but also far away and going through this, you know, somewhat alone. And yeah. it's just so hard. Yeah. What, yeah. What are some, I think some people in that situation that don't have a lot of resources is let's use what you have. And I think one, one, one thing that you can do is begin to say it out loud because again, just to talk about that it, sharing it. So you're not holding on to those emotions and you're not repeating that in your head over and over again and kind of creating more emotions in your head. So speaking it out. And then also another thing that you can do is create a, a, a grieving, a healing journal. So begin to share some of your thoughts and feelings about that person. So you're, again, you're not holding on to those emotions. You're getting them out onto paper. You're speaking them out until you can feel better about how you're holding on to those emotions until you can start to invite people into your circle of influence. So those would be the very basic things that you can do um, to begin through the process. Those are good tactics. What have you learned about happiness through this? You know, we go through life and we're, you know, there's so much wrapped up in our emotions, happy and sad, and there's ups and downs. And, but you've got to, this has got to be a school of learning in terms of happiness, what really matters, or, you know, you're now remarried by the way, happily remarried just recently. Yeah. Um, you know, what do you, through this whole process, what do you, what do you learn about happiness? What do you take away? That's an interesting question, Jeff, because up until about last year, I remember waking up the first of January, 2021. And I remember looking in the mirror and I was still grieving and still not happy. And I look in the mirror and I'm in the heaviest that I've ever been. And I just looked at me and I just started to cry. Mm. And I just said, I, this is not me. What happened to me? And I looked at myself and I said, I love you, Jason. I want you to be happy again. So I began to dedicate myself to this is the year of being happy. So I began to do things to help myself improve and become better. And that was like little changes, whether it be um, going to the gym and exercise, um, um, eating healthier. I hired a, a health coach to help me get healthier, healthier, to hold me accountable. I began to do some meditation and, and uh, mindfulness in the morning. And I began to do things really... Um, to be able to help me through the process to help me feel good again. Because happiness doesn't automatically just switch over. Yeah, You have to invest in yourself to be able to bring out the happiness. And then once you do that, is you begin to attract other happy people that are thriving into your life because you're doing the same thing. Hmm. Happiness is, is, is an internal thing. And 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 I tell people, you're going to have to work on yourself. You're going to have to do that through therapy, process those emotions so that you can invite happiness again. And and I'm today, as I've been remarried and um, connected to Kirsten, who is, has gone through her own process of losing her spouse, we began to enjoy life again together because we focused on ourselves and worked on ourselves. And it's... It's amazing to laugh again and be happy again, and it's possible. It's so possible. That's so cool. So would you say that it's kind of a lot about, I'll call them the small and simple things, or these daily tactics of making sure you're sleeping, you know, eating healthy, you know, kind of all the things we know, but taking care of yourself. Would you say those are the small investments, meditating, like you said, practicing mindfulness, 
those are the building blocks you think of getting to where you can. Yep. Yep. And I think one thing that I also do is um, I begin to, when I was going through uh, grieving, I taught myself to focus on the negative because I was going through a negative experience. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I turned my focus in. I'm going to identify and I'm going to focus on three positive things that are going on around me. And I begin to retrain my brain how to focus yeah. on happy and positive things. And that began to shift my thought process and the way that I felt because I begin to focus on those those um, positive things. It's like I teach people, it's, it's selective awareness in psychology, but it's like playing the game slug bug or punch buggy when you play that game and you, you, <laughs> you say, we're going to play that game. All of a sudden they start to be activated in your life. But when you stop playing it, they disappear. Mm -hmm. So again, it's finding, activating in your brain. I'm going to look for positive things. I'm going to be gra grateful today. Yeah. And that begins to shift the way you think and the way you begin to feel. Yeah, because I'm sure there's an, you know, there's a physical fitness, an emotional fitness, a, maybe a mm -hmm. spiritual aspect of it. But then there's mental fitness as 100%. well, right? And it's kind of retraining your brain. Yeah. Um, what... What thoughts might you have generally as we come, hopefully, uh, you know, I, I think we're coming out of COVID. I'm crossing my fingers and I, I think we are, I hope we are. We're kind of coming out of COVID. We're coming out of the craziest two years. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of death that, mm -hmm. that wasn't planned on and hadn't happened. And there's just been a lot of heartache and hard times. Uh, business is lost and challenged. Other good things have happened. But general thoughts on mental fitness or mental health coming out of COVID and or out of a really hard situation like you did? So my own thoughts of being in therapy with clients, um, I worked at a adolescent program and I remember many parents coming to me and saying, my child was doing so good before COVID. <laughs> they were thriving. They were social. They were active. And then so many parents come in and said, I don't know what happened to my kids. So I think we, as we're coming out of COVID, I think we're going to see more of that. So I think um, as a society and parents, we need to have more of those open discussions about mental health and how you're doing and checking in. And I think the days of just saying, how are you doing? And they give a one-word answer is good. Yeah. I think parents need some training, be, be able to how to ask the right questions so that we can be able to share emotions and, and be able to figure out how they're really doing on a regular basis. Yeah. And again, it's about reconnecting as a family. It's about reconnecting to your neighbors and people that are around you. Start at the very minimal level and start to work our way out so we can get back connected to with people again. Yeah. Remember the I remember the days where you could go outside and everybody's out in the neighborhood walking around <laughs> and talking. It's like it doesn't happen anymore. No, I hope we go back to that. Do you think we will? To some modified form of that, or do you think not? I think I think uh, it depends on the people. I mm -hmm. think the people that love the connections will do that, but then there's people that will that'll bring up some emotions and they'll they'll push it away because they become so disconnected. It's hard to get back into that way of living. Yeah, yeah that's scary. Um, t we we mentioned a good friend of mine, Stan Lockhart, who. His dear wife, Becky, former wife, passed away, um, you know, a number of years ago. They were great friends of ours. He's now happily remarried and really found comfort in this widow 
and widower community. Tell it, tell us a little, you know, that's not something you're aware of unless you're there. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about that, what your experience was, how it was, you know, um, you know, I, yeah. I appreciate you asking that question because it's, it's not a, something we talk about, you know, it's kind of uncomfortable. It's kind of weird. You, you don't ever want to quote unquote, be part of that community. Yeah, right. And, and, and you I, don't ever plan to be, but you might be. And the joke is welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> when that happens, you're just like, yeah. this is the club you don't sign up for. You just become a member. Yeah. Um, I think this has been super helpful for me. And I think what I, the way I approached it is it was people that got me and understood this was my tribe. And when I found my tribe to be able to ask the right questions or help me walk through what I was feeling, it became a sense of relief. Even though these people weren't totally out of grieving, they were about a couple steps ahead of me. So I began to ask questions. What do I do at the beginning? What do I do at three months? What do I do with anniversaries? How do I deal with getting rid of or moving on from my wife's stuff? It was people to help me coach me through that situation. And again, it's it's about connecting and finding the people that are doing the right things and asking them the questions. And you have experts to be able to ask you because they've been where you have been. Mm -hmm. So it's super helpful. And is the best place to find that, I'm going to just guess, Facebook or like online. So uh, like, w let's say that there are people listening. Where do they find it? Where do they find those groups? Where do they find it? it, it it's on Facebook. You can yeah. do a, a widow, widowers group, and then they'll pop up and they'll ask to join. Hmm. And sometimes you have to ask a couple of questions like how long you've been out and, and to get adapted into those groups. And there's some groups that do socializations and they do activities. So it allows you to get out and go do things. And you can practice socialization and connection and, and get to a help, find some people that will help you walk you through the process. Yeah. And it's so helpful when you don't do it alone. Like, like you said, it seems like that would be so necessary and helpful when, you know, there's the, there's the event of the funeral where there's a lot of love and support, but I, I can just, I can't even imagine. I hope I don't, but then life goes on for everyone. You know, and that is one of the harshness, you know, the realities of life that is so hard to imagine sometimes. Life goes on, you know, for everyone else. And by the way, you kind of, you want it to go on, like it has to go yeah. on, right? But it also is so extraordinarily painful yeah. for the person that's like kind of left behind and say, wait, I'm not going on. Yeah. I don't know how I go on, you know? I remember having this picture where I'm in this bubble going in slow motion and I'm looking around and everybody's laughing and enjoying life, but I'm slowly going through this protective bubble and feeling like I was so stuck and I was going to be sad forever. So it's, it's hard. It's hard. And, and, and I think people that don't, haven't gone through it don't know how to approach a widow or they always say, I'm sorry for your loss. They don't know how to communicate or talk. Yeah. But I think people in this situation, they just need people to sit next to them. They just need to talk. You need to approach them and say, hey, can I take you to do lunch? And don't let them choose. Say, hey, can I take you Tuesday or Thursday? What are your options? Make it easier yeah. for them to invite them into that process yeah. and just connect with them. 
um, see a need that they're struggling with and, and go do it. Don't ask, just go do it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, hey, what do you need? Because when you're early into that loss and grieving process, your brain is struggling to comprehend and any little thing that's added to your plate is overwhelming and difficult. I mean, I, here's a good example is as I was going through it, Wyatt, my partner, he texts me. He says, I text you 10 different times, and I felt like I was failing because you weren't responding. And finally, after the 10th one, I said, thank you for staying with me and hanging with me. Mm -hmm. And that was enough for him to keep going and keep sending to me, even though I wasn't responding. And he has been the, the light to be able to coach me, to help me through this process. He's been my wingman through this. Is he a therapist? He's not. Okay. Uh -uh. Just a good friend. He's the one I partnered up because when I was doing all these baskets, he came to me and says, I love what you're doing, Jason. I think we need to find a way to help more people. So his background is in marketing. Got it. And in in generating internet leads. And so we've teamed up to be able to provide more of these services to people that need it. Like, if, if things go well, what we want to do is provide more baskets for the military, for for uh, first responders, because there's so much need and so yeah. many people are struggling right now. Well, how can people learn a little bit more about Sunshine Baskets? What's the best place to go? How can they find you or learn more about it if, if they're interested or have a need? Yeah, so so you can join us on our Facebook page is um, Giving Sunshine Daily, and then our website is... Uh, givingsunshine.org. And those are the best ways to find us and kind of follow our journey and, and learn about what we're trying to do and try to help. Really, I, we're trying to start a sunshine movement to yeah. be able to help people. Because again, it goes back to as a society for the last couple of years, we're so disconnected through mm -hmm. our situations, through COVID and everything else. And what we want to do is just try to connect and heal people uh, all over the place. That's awesome, Jace. Well, thanks for sharing your story today. It's good to have a new friend. Thank you. You know, it's good <laughs> yeah. to get to know you better. It's good to hear your story. Congratulations on kind of, you know, coming out the other side and feeling better. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up today or anything else that has been left unsaid? That uh, I just, I just, I want to create awareness to people that have gone through loss and, and grief and people need, need you. And uh, whether you go ask them, how can I help or I'm here that's what they need instead of it's a lonely place it's a difficult spot to be in and whether you see them at church or whether you see them all around go up and, and hang with them and spend some quality time with them and allow you to help them through the process they need you um, and it'll help them through the process cool jason Clausen, thank you for being my guest today thank you jeff Hey guys, it's Jeff. I, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I get a lot of inbound kind of interest to be on the podcast, kind of ebbs and flows. But um, I've been really hesitant to bring guests that I just don't know well because I want to have these intimate conversations that give you insight into different people um, that you've heard of or may know uh, or may not um, that are working on different interesting things, et cetera, et cetera. But I just felt drawn to this one, to Jason Clausen, and I hope you enjoyed it because I did. I hope it wasn't just quote unquote for me. Um, I don't know if you feel this way. Again, maybe it's my time of life, mid forties. 
Um, it certainly, I'm sure, has to do with COVID. You'll remember our dear friend Warren Osborne that was a guest on the podcast on episode 10-ish that passed away from ALS last year. They're just, I've been to more funerals. Obviously, my father and my dear beloved father-in-law um, passed away. There, there's just been, a, I've been, there's been a lot more death. And I, I guess I'm also understanding my own mortality and realizing I, I won't live forever for the first time in my life. So we're all, my point is, we're all dealing with this in different ways. And I hope that this was helpful. I felt like Jason had some good advice. And it, I thought it was interesting the way that he could tell if he was healing. The intensity of the motions just lessened a little bit. I thought he had great advice of knowing how to help those that are going through heartache and hard times. That's always such a difficult time. Um, and I, I thought he had good advice there. I hope that this has caused you to stop and think. And if there's someone in your life that needs a hug, that needs love, if there's someone that you know that passed away recently, reach out to their loved ones. Tell them, tell them you love them. Tell them you're there for them. Uh, sit with them, like Jason said. I hope that the Sunshine Baskets movement is incredibly successful. To clarify, it's kind of, it's a nonprofit. Uh, it's a business that acts as a nonprofit and is just looking to help those that are experiencing trauma and pain with their grief. We all, this is one of the things that makes us a lot more alike than we are different. We all experience grief. We all will die. We all have hard things that happen to us. Look around to those around you this week that may need a lift up and don't be afraid to reach out a helping hand, especially to those who are in the middle of trauma or tragedy or conflict, heartache. They need, they need you more than ever. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Us Podcast with Jeff Burningham. Please help us grow by leaving a rating and review and subscribing at your favorite podcast platform. Also, tell your friends and share on social media. See you again next week. you jumped out of a plane. Is that true? That's true. You can hear all about it on Under Our Bet Sally Skydiving in Dubai. It's hard to believe, but it's true. It is true. We have a podcast called Under Our Bed. We hope you'll check it out. Subscribe in 2022. We talk about important and funny things. Yes, like skydiving, like when someone you love dies. Yeah, Lots of sad. Lots of, we cover We cover life. Yeah. If you're interested about life, if you want to hear a couple talk about life, come join us, Jeff and Sal, under our bed. You will love it, I guarantee. <laughs> love you, Sal. Love you too. Good night. Good night.